0: Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our Selection This Time The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester Read by Perry F. Bruns Part 3 The controller made a terrible fuss about the whole affair, and I knew. Don't ask me how. I simply knew. That something drastic was going to be done about it unless I talked plenty fast. By this time, though, the clues in my head were beginning to fall into place. I turned directly to the CS, and I said, Sir... Frog stands for prognostication, doesn't it? There was silence. Finally, Groting nodded slowly. I said, You've got some kind of fortune teller up there. You go up every afternoon and get your fortune told. Then you come out and tell the press about it as though you all thought it up by yourselves, right? The controller sputtered, but Groting nodded again. I said... This afternoon, the end of the universe was prognosticated. Another silence. At last, Groting sighed wearily. He shut the controller up with a wave of his hand and said, It seems Mr. Carmichael does know enough to make things awkward all around. The controller burst out. It's no fault of mine. I always insisted on a thorough guard system. If we had guarded the guards, Groting interrupted. Would only have upset existing stability, they would have drawn attention and suspicion. We were forced to take the chance of a slip-up. Now that it's happened, we must make the best of it. I said, excuse me, sir. I wouldn't have come here just to boast. I could have kept quiet about it. What bothers me is what bothered you. Groding stared at me for a moment, then turned away and began to pace up and down the room. There was no anger in his attitude. If there had been, I wouldn't have been as scared as I was. It was a big room, and he did a lot of pacing, and I could see that he was coldly analyzing the situation and deciding what was to be done with me. That frigid appraisal had me trembling. I said, I'll give you my word not to mention this again, if that'll do the trick. He paid no attention, merely paced. My mind raced crazily through all the nasty things that could happen to me. Like solitary for life, like one-way exploration, like an obliterated memory track which meant I would have lost my twenty-eight years. Not that they were worth much to anyone but me. I got panicky and yelled, You can't do anything to me! Remember stability! I began to quote the credo as fast as I could remember. The status quo must be maintained at all costs. Every member of society is an integral and essential factor of the status quo. A blow at the stability of any individual is a blow aimed at the stability of society. Stability that is maintained at the cost of so much as a single individual is tantamount to chaos. Thank you, Mr. Carmichael, the CS interrupted. I have already learned the credo. He went to the controller's desk and punched the teletype keys rapidly. After a few minutes of horrible waiting, the answer came clicking back. Groting read the message, nodded, and beckoned to me. I stepped up to him, and, boys, I don't know how the legs kept from puddling on the floor. Groting said, Mr. Carmichael, it is my pleasure to appoint you confidential reporter to the Stability Board for the duration of this crisis. I said, What? Groting said, We've maintained stability, you see and ensured your silence. Society cannot endure change, but it can endure and welcome harmless additions. A new post has been created, and you're it. I said, thanks. Naturally, there will be an advance in credit for you. That is the price we pay, and gladly. You will attach yourself to me. All reports will be confidential. Should you break confidence, society will exact the usual penalty for official corruption. Shall I quote the credo on that point? I said, no, sir, because I knew that one by heart. The usual penalty isn't pleasant. Groding had me beautifully hogtied. I said, what about the time, sir? Why, Groting said, you will continue your usual duties whenever possible. You will submit the official releases as though you had no idea at all what was really taking place. I'm sure I can spare you long enough each day to make an appearance at your office." Suddenly he smiled at me, and in that moment I felt better. I realized that he was far from being a Jehovian menace In fact, he'd done all he could to help me out of the nasty spot my curiosity had got me into. I grinned back and on impulse shoved out my hand. He took it and gave it a shake. Everything was fine. The C.S. said, Now that you're a fellow official, Mr. Carmichael, I'll come to the point directly. The Prague Building, as you've guessed, is a prognostication center. With the aid of a complete data system and a rather complex series of integraphs, we have been able to—to tell our fortunes, as you put it. I said, I was just shooting in the dark, sir. I really don't believe it. Groting smiled. He said, nevertheless, it exists. Prophecy is far from being a mystical function. It is a very logical science based on experimental factors. The prophecy of an eclipse to the exact second of time and precise degree of longitude strikes the layman with awe. The scientist knows it is the result of precise mathematical work with precise data. Sure, I began, but... Groting held up his hand. The future of the world-line, he said is essentially the same problem magnified only by the difficulty of obtaining accurate data, and enough data. For example, assuming an apple orchard, what are the chances of apples being stolen? I said I couldn't say. Depends, I suppose, on whether there are any kids living in the neighborhood. All right, Roding said. That's additional data. Assuming the orchard and the small boys, what are the chances of stolen apples? Pretty good. Add data. A locust plague is reported on the way. Not so good. More data. Agriculture reports a new efficient locust spray. Better. And still more data. In the past years, the boys have stolen apples and been soundly punished. Now what are the chances? maybe a little less. Continue the experimental factors with an analysis of the boys. They are headstrong and will ignore punishment. Add also the weather forecasts for the summer. Add the location of the orchard and attitude of owner. Now sum up. Orchard plus boys plus thefts plus punishment plus character plus locusts plus spray plus... I said good heavens! You're overwhelmed by the detail work. Roding smiled, but not by the lack of logic. It is possible to obtain all possible data on the orchard in question and integrate the factors into an accurate prophecy not only as to the theft, but as to the time and place of theft. Apply this example to our own universe, and you can understand the working of the prognosis building. We have eight floors of data analyzers. The sifted factors are fed into the integrators and, presto, prophecy. I said, presto, my poor head. You'll get used to it in time. I said, the pictures? Groting said, the solution of a mathematical problem can take any one of a number of forms. For prognosis, we have naturally selected a picturization of the events themselves, any major step in government that is contemplated is prepared in data form and fed into the integrator. The effect of that step on the world line is observed. If it is beneficial, we take that step. If not, we abandon it and search for another, I said. and the pictures I saw this afternoon, Groting sobered. He said, "'Up until today, Mr. Carmichael, we have not been able to integrate closer to the present than a week in the future, or deeper into the future than a few hundred years. Wiggins' new data technique has enabled us to push to the end of our existence, and it is perilously close. You saw the obliteration of our universe take place less than a thousand years from now.' This is something we must prevent at once. Why all the excitement? Surely something will happen during the next ten centuries to avoid it. What will happen? Roding shook his head. I don't think you understand our problem. On the one hand, you have the theory of our society. Stability. You yourself have quoted the credo. A society which must maintain its stability at the price of instability is chaos. Keep that in mind. On the other hand, we cannot wait while our existence progresses rapidly toward extinction. The closer it draws to that point, the more violent the change will have to be to alter it. Think of the progress of a snowball that starts at the top of a mountain and rolls down the slopes "'growing in bulk until it smashes an entire house at the bottom. "'A mere push of a finger is sufficient to alter its future when it starts. "'A push of a finger will save a house. "'But if you wait until the snowball gathers momentum, "'you will need violent efforts to throw the tons of snow off the course.' "'I said, "'Those pictures I saw were the snowball hitting our house.' You want to start pushing the finger now. Groting nodded. Our problem now is to sift the billions of factors stored in the Prague Building and discover which of them is that tiny snowball. The controller, who had been silent in a state of wild suppression all the while, suddenly spoke up. I tell you it's impossible, Mr. Groting. How can you dig the one significant factor out of all those billions? Groting said, it will have to be done. "'But there's an easier way,' the controller cried. "'I've been suggesting it all along. Let's attempt the trial-and-error method. We instigate a series of changes at once and see whether or not the future line is shifted. Sooner or later, we're bound to strike something.' "'Impossible,' Groding said. "'You're suggesting the end of stability.' No civilization is worth saving if it must buy salvation at the price of its principles. I said, sir, I'd like to make a suggestion. They looked at me. The CS nodded. It seems to me that you're both on the wrong track. You're searching for a factor from the present. You ought to start in the future. How's that? It's like if I said old maids were responsible for more clover you'd start investigating the old maids. You ought to start with the clover and work backwards. Just what are you trying to say, Mr. Carmichael? I'm talking about a posteriori reasoning. Look, sir, a fellow by the name of Darwin was trying to explain the balance of nature. He wanted to show the chain of cause and effect. He said in so many words that the number of old maids in a town governed the growth of clover, but if you want to find out how, you've got to work it out a posteriori from effect to cause. Like this. Only bumblebees can fertilize clover. The more bumblebees, the more clover. Field mice attack bumblebee nests, so the more field mice, the less clover. Cats attack mice. The more cats, the more clover. Old maids keep cats. The more old maids, the more clover. QED. <laughs> and now, Groating laughed, construe. That's the end of Part 3 of The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester here on Calm Mystery. Join us next time to find out exactly what Carmichael does construe. And whether his appointment as confidential reporter to the Stability Council will make the world more or much less stable. In the meantime, why not take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite potcatcher? if you haven't already. And until next time, stay calm. Everything's a mystery. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own Murder Mystery Party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.